Olympic marathon races. An Italian called Orando Pietri entered the stadium in the White City. He collapsed five times before the officials helped him over the line, almost unconscious. And sadly, because he was helped over, he was disqualified from receiving the gold medal. But he was a man with a purpose, and that was to finish the task that he had been set. Just under 100 years later, in the 2004 Athens Olympics, that uh, Paula Radcliffe, um, British gold medal hopeful, pulled out of the marathon at 23 miles, and um, uh, in many ways divided opinion. Some said, well, she should have just finished what she set out to do. Others said, well, her mission was to win, and uh, she couldn't accept anything less. To say it is finished can mean two quite different things. It can mean, on the one hand, I can go on no longer. I am finished. I am totally exhausted. Or it can mean I've finished. I've achieved what I set out to do. The reading we had from Psalm 22 earlier, which pointed to the cross, started with a sense of despair. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words which Jesus uttered on the cross, expressing his abandonment, his separation from, from the Father that he knew was necessary. Necessary if the world was going to be saved. It was because God loved the world so much that he sent his Son to save the world. But these last words of Jesus recorded in this passage, which... Um, Mark and Thelma read for us. Uh, not a cry of despair. It's not a, I'm finished in that sense. I can take no more. It's not an expression of weakness that demands our, our sympathy. It's also not the expression of relief that his sufferings are coming to, to an end, although I'm sure he would have been relieved physically. But actually it's a cry of victory. A cry which causes great celebrations in heaven. It is finished, I've achieved what I came to do. It's a victory that has wide-ranging consequences because it assures us of our eternal salvation. And it means that we can gather here this morning confident that whatever wrongs we have done in the past, whatever wrongs we will do in the future, as we repent of them, as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven. But just going to spend a few minutes before we come to to take communion together, thinking what is it Jesus refers to when he says it is finished? What exactly has been accomplished? And there are three things I just want to mention briefly. The first of those is that Jesus finished his mission, and that mission was to do the will of the Father. Jesus' whole life was pointing to this moment. Remember when the angels appeared to the shepherds in the fields? They said, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born. Not just a baby, a saviour. And already Jesus' mission was made clear in that description. And as he grew up, he would have known that his whole life was pointing to this moment on the cross. And we see the shadow of the cross throughout John's Gospel. In chapter 1, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. As Jesus' mother tells him at a wedding in in Cana that the wine has run out, Jesus replies, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time, my hour 
has not yet come. He knew there was an hour to which his life was pointing, but it hadn't come at that point. In chapter 4, Jesus says in response to the disciples offering him food, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then as he arrives in Jerusalem for the final week of his life, he says in John 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, those well-known words make it clear that his hour was imminent. Father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And here on the cross, Jesus is saying, your will is done. It's finished. I've done what I came to do, what you sent me to do. As we've seen in the, the last couple of weeks, in the passages leading up to this moment, describing his arrest and his trial, Jesus is in command right up to the end. Jesus lays down his life. As it goes on to say in verse 30, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He was obedient to death. What an amazing sacrifice. But events pointing to um, this final moment didn't just begin with the birth of Jesus. They, They began much further back, began... In the Old Testament, when God's messengers, the prophets, proclaimed to his people that there would one day be a Messiah, a descendant of David, a suffering servant, also a servant king who would come and rescue them. And three times we've read in this passage, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus' whole life was prophesied, his virgin birth the place of his birth, his escape to, to Egypt, triumphantly entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on a donkey to the tragic conclusion of that week when he was despised and rejected, when he was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And when we read here in this passage, his hands and feet were pierced, his clothes were divided, his thirst Not one of his bones was broken. All predicted centuries before. And in this moment, Jesus is able to review the whole scope of prophecy concerning himself and and say, it is finished. It has come to pass just as it was foretold. Not only did Jesus fulfill the Old Testament prophecies concerning himself on the cross, what this moment also signified was the end of the Old Testament covenant, the the Old Testament sacrificial system. Jesus was fulfilling the law in this act on the cross. The Old Testament system of priests and sacrifices and, and temple that God had set up was a temporary one. It pointed to something far better. If we read in Hebrews, uh, the limitations of that system are recorded well. This is what it says in Hebrews 10. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. 
the principle of the Old Testament system was that, that um, sin had to be atoned for. And what those sacrifices did was remind people of their sin, remind people they were sh- falling short of God's law. But what those sacrifices were, na- were not able to do was take that sin away permanently. The law could not make people righteous. And when Jesus came, he said, I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And that meant he would keep the law perfectly as no other human being could do. And then he would take that penalty of sin so that all men would be, all men who put their trust in him would be forgiven. And those demands of the law would be met. God's justice would be satisfied. That doesn't mean if we do believe that there's no longer sin in us by the guilt, the penalty are no longer on us. They've been transferred to Jesus, our substitute. You may recall the, uh, the Old Testament a law where they would take a goat on the Day of Atonement. One goat would be killed to make atonement for the sins of the people. The blood sprinkled on what was called the, the atonement cover the mercy seat, the gold lid or the, of the Ark of the Covenant. The high priest would lay his hands on the head of a live goat and confess over it all the sins of the people and put them on the goat's head. And that goat would be sent away into the wilderness carrying all the sins of the people. In Romans, Jesus is described as the atonement cover because as he died on the cross as he uttered the words it is finished he was saying your sin is atoned for all your sins have been removed they have been taken away because they've been laid on me I'm carrying them so that you don't need to and that is why in Matthew's account on the cross it says at the moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom curtain that um, separated the holy of holies, the earthly symbolic dwelling place of God from the rest of the temple where people would dwell. It signified a man was separated by God from sin. Only the high priest was able to pass through beyond that curtain. But now, at the moment of Jesus' death, The tearing of the curtain dramatically symbolized his sacrifice, the shedding of his own blood, that sins had been atoned for, that now we can enter the presence of God. It was open for all people who would believe. The temple, the religious system became redundant as the old covenant gave way for the new, as Jesus Christ became our superior high priest. Hebrews says, he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. It is finished. means the debt that we owe God and that we can never repay has been paid for us. The justice of God has been satisfied. God's wrath has been turned aside. It is finished. Jesus' mission is finished. The Old Testament prophecies are finished. The, The covenant is finished. The work of atonement is finished. God is satisfied with the work of Jesus on the cross. And so no works are required from us. There's no price that we need to pay now for our salvation. All that is required from us is to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And the moment you you believe in that, 
That is the moment that every sin that you've committed is wiped clean and you stand accepted in him. And that is when our lives are changed. Our desires now become focused on being faithful to Christ, on finishing the task that he has given us in this life. In 2 Timothy 6, as Paul comes to the end of his life, he writes to Timothy this, saying, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I fought the good faith, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. It is finished. Your sin has been atoned for, and we're going to celebrate that now as we come around the Lord's table. And uh, I invite you all, if... um, you have accepted Christ as your saviour to come and join us as we take part in the supper. Uh, if that's not you yet, then do please feel free just to, to let the plate pass at the, uh, the right moment. But as we come to the table, Alice is going to come and give thanks for the bread and the wine. Good morning. Uh, let's pray together. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Father, we give you thanks for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. And you are indeed the overseer of our souls and our lives. And we give you thanks for all the plans you have made for your people throughout time. And we thank you for this present day and for the lives that you have given us. And we commit our lives from this day forward and recommit them to you and give you thanks for your son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. The work is done and we need only have faith. And we give you thanks for your sacrifice in giving up your son. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would dwell in our lives, make us eternally grateful and filled with energy to live our lives uh, worthy of you through the death of your Son. We give you thanks for his shed blood, for his broken body. And as we drink of the cup and eat of the bread, uh, we remind ourselves of all that has been accomplished. And we give you thanks. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We'll eat the bread as it is served to us.
the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to keep the cup as they're served to us, and then we'll drink together to demonstrate our unity in Christ. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you, and be thankful. Jesus on the cross on Good Friday is not the end. Because as we leave here, we look ahead to Easter Sunday, we look ahead to the resurrection, the victory over death, the promise of life in Christ. And that psalm that Hilton read earlier, Psalm 22, is a psalm in two halves. We heard the first half. Let me now read the second half, which is full of hope that comes because of what Jesus has done for us. Reading from verse 22. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. The dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Let's stand to sing our final hymn. On that rugged cross, my salvation.